Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, which is why I call it the Haskin Cast podcast. And I am very excited to bring on our newest guest here on episode 34, Anne Cabano, who is a filmmaker in Phoenix, Arizona. I had the pleasure of working with her on a very touching film called Stronger by This. Uh, she reached out to me and asked me to write the opening music to set the tone for the film. And uh, that's a, a very important position to be in when it comes to the film, because you really are just setting up the, here's the ride that you're about to go on kind of feel. And uh, it was it was a little challenging, but I got her what she wanted and was very excited to work with her. And I thought we worked very well together. And we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about the film and some of the really strong reactions that it's gotten from both the cast and crew, as well as the audience. I'm very glad to hear that. When I just saw my little part, I only saw the opening. And she explained the, the rest of the film to me because she was still editing it when I wrote my part. And I had an idea of what it would look like and what came out was even better. And it's really touched a lot of people and it's a, a very, very powerful film. So I'm glad it's getting out there and it's going to have its premiere in a very well-known theater here later this month. And I'm very excited about that, which we will also talk to her about. So I don't want to spoil it for you here just yet, but I will say if you're in the LA area, go see it. Uh, let's see what's going on. The, I, I was invited to my first viewing of the show Absinthe, which is just outside of Caesar's Palace Hotel here on the Strip. And I was absolutely blown away by the show. It is so funny and so intense. Uh, a lot of just roll with whoever's in the audience, whatever happens to be going on. Um, very alive. And I feel like if you go and see the show again, uh, it'll be somewhat similar, but there will be some differences because it, I, I have a feeling there's a lot of individualistic per show type stuff that goes on. Uh, a lot of the acrobatics and stuff that you would expect to see, it's a very small theater. Uh, and it, from the outside, it looks really small. And it's it's almost like you're walking into one of those Harry Potter tents because when you walk in the door, it's all of a sudden much bigger than you thought it would be. But uh, it, it it's very cramped in the theater, which is the one thing I didn't like. The chairs are smushed together so that there's really no room unless you're a very petite person that fits in that chair. You're going to be touching somebody. And the rows are also pushed a little too much together. So when somebody's trying to get to their seat or, uh, you know, like they need to get up and go to the bathroom, get a drink or whatever, it's very, you, you can't even stand up to let them through. You almost have to half stand on your chair so that they have room to get through. So it's really tight and uncomfortable. And the chairs are these, you know, like wooden chairs and, and they're not the greatest. So I didn't like that part of it, but the show itself was phenomenal. The theater is decorated beautifully. The space is so amazingly well utilized. It's a Spiegel world show. I saw opium uh, last, last fall, I think. And uh, it was it this, it wasn't as cramped, but it was very similar. It's a very small area, but they do so much with that. I mean, they really know how to utilize every square inch. The shows themselves, both Opium and uh, Absinthe, are very very raunchy. So if you're even slightly offended by anything potentially political, sexual, whatever, do not go because it is not for you. And I'm just going to tell you that the tickets are not cheap to these shows, even though, you know, probably because the theaters are so small and the expense of the show and the amount of people that are in it, it kind of makes sense. But don't waste your money if it's if you're because you're going to walk out in 10 minutes. 
If you aren't one of those kind of people, absolutely go flock right now. Come to Vegas, see the shows. They're fantastic. And it looks like they're opening up a new one at the Venetian here in the fall. So, or uh, what is it? Fall, summer? I can't remember now. But uh, I'm looking forward to going and seeing that already because the two Spiegel World shows I've seen, I absolutely loved. Laughed very hard at both of them. Uh, Really good stuff. So put that on your list for when you come visit here in Vegas and let me know when you're in town. Let's get a coffee. Let's meet up. Uh, So let's uh, go ahead and bring on our guest today. And I'm very excited to have her on the show. She's incredibly busy. So uh, much like myself, it's really hard to schedule things a lot of times. So uh, she happened to be available for a little bit and I was able to catch her in that time. So let's talk to Ann Cabano. All right. Without further ado, let's bring Ann Cabano on the show. Ann, how are you today? Hi, Scott. I'm doing great. I'm doing well. Very glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm so happy to be sitting here talking with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you carving some time out of your insane schedule to come and be on the show today. Thank you very much for the invitation. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat about whatever. (laughs) And that's what we will chat about. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I have to thank you because I really, I was so honored that of all the people you could have asked to work on your film stronger by this, uh, that you chose me to do the opening music because the opening music is such an important piece because it really sets the tone for, for the film, especially on a short film, because there isn't that much in length to it, to where you can change moods a lot. Um, thank you. That was a big honor for me. Uh, I was. So excited that you said yes. Like I, you, I don't even think you know the level of my excitement. Honestly, I was so excited that you said yes. <laughs> well, thank you. And and you're like you're so talented. Like you just whipped that out like it was nothing. Well, thank I don't, you. I am so grateful for you. Yeah. I I wish I could have gotten it right on the first pass, but I think uh, doing it in two passes was not too bad. <laughs> no, not too shabby. Yeah. And I love the film. It's such a a beautiful tale, but it's one of those things that um, I I just, I can sometimes find it difficult to watch because for for those who haven't seen it yet, it's, it's basically a a suicide awareness film as I think it would, it would that be the right way to categorize it? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. So that being the case and it be being uh, surrounded with children, it's such a crazy thing for me to think about the fact that children should even have to think about, their friends committing suicide or wanting to commit suicide or them going through something that makes them think that's the answer. It's, it's, it's almost gut wrenching in a way to watch children go through that. I mean, to watch anybody go through it is hard, but especially. Yep. I, you know, the film was written by Faith Payne when she was 14 years old. And this is really inspired by her own story. And, you know, the whole cast is, um, teen and youth but you know I the we had a private premiere when the film was complete for the family and friends and um, cast and crew and whatnot uh, when the film was almost complete it was still kind of a rough draft and at any rate we had the whole, all of the cast come up and the entire cast was youth the whole cast is youth and they came up and shared um, the question really was, have you been impacted by suicide in any way? And every single one of those 
um, children had an experience, whether it was their own ideations or uh, losing a friend or a friend coming really close to attempting suicide. And we, I mean, there was emotion. They, they were vulnerable and raw and they shared from their hearts. And I think that real moment impacted me even deeper than I realized um, making the film, you know? Sure. Well, it's unscripted and it's, it's in the moment and it's honest and, and raw. Absolutely. Like that was one of the cast members told his story of his friend and he, you know, he showed emotion. And of course, there's not a dry eye in the place. We all were just moved. And so I, it is hard to think that kids go through this. And it's hard to think the pressures of homework drive someone their age to not, you know, to attempt such a thing. And it's just, it's, I'm so grateful that Faith want to open up this topic. I'm so grateful that she was bravely sharing her story so that we could make a film. Yeah. And, and it was, I can only imagine how hard it was for her to write it because it was a very realistic thing. And obviously being a personal story, you're, you're reliving those, you know, you're reliving the muscle memory and the, the visions in your head and all that stuff that you've already experienced that were horrible. And I really give some props to anyone who can allow themselves to go through that again in that depth. I mean, Excellent point. That's definitely an excellent point. I I believe anyone who's brave enough to tell their story, I applaud them. You know, like just to share their trauma story because you you could come up. People don't receive that so well all the time, you know. And people are very insensitive, whether they know your story or not. But there's nothing like telling your story bravely and boldly and coming up against you know, resistance or criticism for telling your story. Right, right. How did you uh, connect with her? Uh, So Tanya, her mom, who's the executive producer, her and Faith contacted me uh, and asked me if I would be interested in directing uh, a film. They want to make a film. So Faith had written this story. It wasn't a script in any script form yet. And we went and we met. And the reason they asked me primarily was because of my advocacy background, because I'm an advocate. Um, everything I do has a social awareness aspect to it. And so they asked me and I looked at Faith and I thought this topic is very important it is important to me specifically i um i have a lost a friend to suicide and i had just done a conference um on suicide awareness and bullying and so the timing was just spot on and i decided to take the project on well i'm really glad that you did and uh, i love that that came together so naturally and I, I kind of like the fact that she didn't write it as a film initially because uh, 
I don't know about you, but whenever I write something that I, I'm intending to have filmed, I have like a lot of restrictions in my head. I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying not to think about the budget, but I'm thinking, okay, how can we actually pull off this effect or do this or that? And I find that it affects my script writing. But if I'm just writing it as a story without the intention, I'll throw everything in there that comes to my head because I don't, I'm not thinking in any sort of limiting fashion. Yeah, I think a lot of people get in their own way. And especially like if you've never written a script or are familiar with the style, uh, you know, script writing is one thing and script writing is another thing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so you, there's already writer's block going on in the world. So we don't really need writer's block because you're concerned about proper format happening. Yeah. Yeah. And unless that's something that's just so second nature to you, it can be very limiting for sure. Uh, it it can get in the way because, you know, I, the same thing that you said, that's what I feel like I experienced too. I'm sorry, my cat was just meowing. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone knows I'm a little cat lady. There you go. <laughs> but um, I, it, I think it depends on the type of writer you are. Either you are experiential meaning you really like sort of sink down into these characters maybe even get up and physically act things out i don't know or you're visual and you're writing according to um what you feel like it's going to look like aesthetically you know how how you feel the characters are going to be standing or or where they're going to be standing and then maybe you're not even writing about characters maybe you're not writing about people maybe you're writing about your own experience in the world but I, I do know this. Writers always get in their own way. Oh, absolutely. And I when I write, I was just realizing this. I tend to not really get too descriptive with my characters because I don't know. I don't want to limit the casting either. You know, I, I in, unless there's a specific need for somebody to be a certain race or a certain color, um, there's really no need for me to limit the film with that. Yeah. I, I would, you know, obviously you have to choose male and female most of the time, but even, even that there's a lot that you actually don't have to decide who they are. I mean, that's true. Actually, I'm, I'm, I wrote this vignette. I don't know, maybe four years ago, I wrote, I write a lot of vignettes and their experiences in my life. So I like to share things that I've gone through and sort of turn them into a story but i wrote this vignette and it's me like i'm the character in this story and i'm actually taking this story and turning it into a short script it's probably going to be um it probably be a micro short maybe a little bit longer but um there's a whole challenging aspect to that that i want to experience so that's why I'm doing it. But to speak, the reason I brought that up to speak to your point is, um, as I'm turning this story into a script, I don't like it. The, the main character is a mom and then there are two children. Of course, when, it, when this is a true story, so it was me and my two girls, but, um, I'm not attached to, once I go to cast it, if it's going to be, I don't care the age or race or anything. Um, I just, the only thing that I'm going to care about is, 
if the, if they look like each other in a way, like they're family. So whoever I cast as the lead character, they they don't have to be my age or look like me at all. And then I'll cast the children to match the mom. Right. And that's it. Like once you've cast one person, there are certain things that, okay, now that we have this set, we have to do things a certain way for certain people. And that's definitely important to be aware of. Yeah. 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 Now, now since, um, since she wrote this as a story, how, how close is the original story to the final film? So I, I mean, that's a great question. So Stephen Kesson, a man named Stephen Kesson, um, took her story. I asked him if he would, uh, help her because I, when they first came to me, I was like, Oh man, I really don't have time to change this into a script right now. But if you bring me a script, then, um, we can talk again. Cause that, I, I was really like at that precise moment working on projects and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. You know how it is when you're a creative, sometimes you just can't, I can't, I should maybe just say myself, I can't wrap my, <laughs> I can't, I can't wrap my head around a lot at the same time, but I was at capacity. Right. And so I asked my friend, Stephen, who, um, is a fantastic screenwriter has written all kinds of screenplays. And I said, do you think you could, you could coach faith into a script. And so Stephen is actually the one that took the story and turned it into a script. And then later on, as I was, you know, going through the script and, and planning how we were going to shoot it, then I did make a few changes to the script, but overall this really was her story. And she literally this was taken directly out of an experience that she had that I feel like we've all had this experience where she's standing in the shower, taking a shower and the music is playing. And as each piece of music is playing, um, it's evoking this feeling that's creating a flashback to memories in her life. And that is really what this story is. It's her having a whole series of flashbacks in her life. And, um, um, all these flashbacks are her actual memories. Right. Well, and, and tr it triggers are such an amazing thing too. Music obviously is, is a, is a huge trigger because the, the association with certain songs, like I, I remember saying to my brother recently thinking about, I believe it was, uh, was it Africa by Toto and remembering this mall that we went to when we were kids because they had just gotten a Spencer's and, and that was a brand new thing at the time. And I oh, associate, yeah. like, I remember being in the car and that was the last thing I was listening to as we left the car to go into the mall. And I mean, they can get really specific, but also aromas, um, weather, lighting, clouds, all those things um, can really be triggers. But I think music is one of the strongest. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, it's not, and I know you're a musician, right? And we would think that, but I, I agree. Music moves me. And honestly, like, if you... If you want to know a little secret about me, I cannot begin to edit my film, any film or any video, until I have a good sense of what the soundtrack or piece of music I'm editing underneath of it sounds like. Because the music that I choose dictates how I paint the picture. 
Does that make sense? Like, Absolutely, and I, yeah. I don't lay sound, like I do it totally backwards. I don't lay soundtrack. I don't edit and then lay soundtrack. I lay some soundtrack and then I edit. So I already had the music picked out before we even shot for, uh, and then I, I had pieces that like you and another man were creating pieces. And so I had music that was a feeling that I was going for. And so in, in my, when we shot, then I already had an idea in my heart and in my head about the the music that was going to be. And I, and I really did it specifically extra. I went extra on this one because right because it is a journey through her playlist like literally that's what we're doing we're going on a journey through a playlist so but i know i don't know well in, <laughs> so, in, a, in a film like this too it's interesting because you know obviously it's a short film you're not going to be doing a lot of licensing of existing pieces and you're talking kids so they're not really going to be likely to listen to say classical music they're going to listen to something that's more uh current or pop or r&b or whatever it's going to be and, uh-huh. uh, and and it's a fine line when you're going between that um, playlist versus the underscore soundtrack. Uh, but I think it, it balanced really well in the end. Now, do you do you then not like to edit to temp tracks? I do. I mean, I do. But I, I it's really important to me. I don't you know, my background is a I, I was a dancer when I was younger. And I really and I was in band. And I really feel like music to me, it's the, it's me personally is so important and music is, it's like a frame. Like when you have a piece of fine artwork that, you, you know, if you, if you have like a fine art and you're looking for a frame for it, a frame can make or break a piece. And it can be the most gorgeous piece you have ever seen. And if you put it in a crap ass frame, you're just like, it ruins the whole composition. Yeah. And, and that's just kind of how I feel. I feel like music is a frame and there are some very specific things I, I do with music. And then some that are just like, mm, this will get by until I have um, something that I actually want. But you know, for example, when you composed that piece, right? I I had a feeling already, right? I had this feeling, and I put together um, the visual, and then that's what you composed to, right? And and you, it was and there I there I I mean I made some changes obviously, um, but I barely had to make any changes really because you just nailed it. Like I was like, oh, I I had picked a piece that was a temporary solution that I really loved, and then I I your yours was so much better. Yours like absolutely got what I wanted. Thank you, and I I don't think you even told me what that piece was. I think we just you just said what kind of mood you wanted for it. Yeah. And yeah. Oh in, yeah. In fact, you didn't you didn't even tell me where to change the emotion. I think you, you just sent me the clip and I said, okay, I'll work on it. And then it just, it was very natural because there was definitely a, a turning point in the opening sequence where 
uh, I felt that a, an emotional change would be good. And it, we hadn't talked about it, but I threw it in there because I felt it. And then you actually commented, I remember after hearing the the first piece that you really liked that. And when I rewrote it, which was really just a variation of the first piece, um, I, I made sure to keep that in there because that really did seem important. It it was. And, and now that you've seen the film, you see, right? Because it, it's sort of setting the tone. I mean, it is setting the tone, but you're it's setting the tone and you're like having this series of visuals. And to me, I don't know, opening credits are kind of like one, it's that sort of one little independent artistic thing that you can do, like just opening credits in and of itself. And um, you're telling a story with the visuals and interchanging it with, you know, a bunch of words, people, names of people and what they did. And and that little last part when you're like, it, it was just this one note that sort of shifted the mood before those last notes. I was like, oh, my gosh. And and that actually is where I made some changes because. Um, I loved the music and it was the music that dictated that it wasn't the visual that dictated the music. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's, it's rare for filmmakers to take that approach, but it it does happen. I remember, uh, Ridley Scott, when he heard, uh, Hans Zimmer's, uh, rough idea for the battle sequence at the beginning of of Gladiator, uh, he actually said, go ahead and finish it. And I'm going to edit to that. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, that's really odd. But in, in that kind of a sequence, it does make sense. But yeah, I, I was just glad I was able to to capture what you wanted very quickly because it was the first time we worked together. And the first time is always a little bit, um, you have to feel each other out. You know, I, I don't know what your language is for conveying what you want and you don't know what my interpretation is going to be until we've gotten through some stuff together. But I think we yeah. worked really well together and and. I think that it's such a great message in the film and it's such an important topic. And we were talking a little bit before the show that it seems like when children talk about an adult topic versus adults talking about an adult topic, it's so much more powerful. Absolutely. 100% agree. Mm -hmm. And, And I think this was just done so beautifully. I mean, when I finally did see the film, I, I, I didn't even know what to say. It was just such a, it was, it was that I love the film, but I hate that kids have to even, that this is even a thing. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. When you first read the script or, well, I should say when you first read the the story, were you, was your feeling like, yes, I want to take this on or was it, I don't really know if I'm the right person for this. No, I, I, I actually, I it, I had internal thoughts because I didn't want to sound like I was all full of myself or something. But my in, <laughs> right. my internal thoughts were I absolutely am the person to do this, and it, it and that's how I felt. It was a screaming, blaring yes because I feel like I'm an advocate before I'm a filmmaker. I'm an advocate before anything, and everything I do is about it. it really, the foundation of everything I do is teaching people about other people and and my hope in that is because when you 
stop and see another person and what they're going through, you understand humanity at a whole different level. And my efforts may be futile, but that is what I spend my life doing is I really, I feel like I have a deep comprehension of the human experience. And I feel uh, because of my holistic background that and, and the thousands of hours that I've taught in a holistic college and, and my private practice and, and I've done counseling and coaching for couples and families and individuals, I, I, I feel like I see people really deeply and I feel them really deeply. And my only hope in getting into film was that I could find some way to show other people what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and because there's not a lot of ways to really convey that film is one of the best mediums for that. I, especially your visual. I I'm very, I am a visual person anyway. I'm very visually like I have to see it. That's how I learn too. I have to see it and I have to put my hands on it. And when, when I, see it versus like if you try to educate me um just with audio versus with visual i would learn faster with visual than with audio i i even learn a lot of audio things better visually myself it's interesting that's interesting yeah well and because because music has become such a visual thing now especially those of us that work in you know in home studios where everything's done on a on a monitor um you know seeing the waveform versus you explaining to me the hertz and, and and all that of where the sound is i can just see it and understand it much more quickly than i could by you explaining to me you know now you don't want to go over here because this will happen um i can just see it and it's instant you know instant recognition uh, you, you are a tech person though. I mean, you, you said earlier that you have all the apps on your phone. What are your like biggest go-to apps? For the industry, mm-hmm. for the film industry. I mean, I have apps on my phone that don't necessarily have to do with, I mean, I have like, I do have WeTransfer, which is the, tra- the file transfer. Like mm-hmm. you typically do that on, on your computer and I have it on my phone. Wow. Um, so I know. So I don't know if that's what you're talking about. I mean, I have, well, I mean, um, like, do you use uh, any scheduling software for your meetings or oh, any, uh, yeah. you know, stuff okay. like that? You see how I went twisted there? I'm like, I don't know what, <laughs> what topic I have a lot of apps. Maybe I want to tell you about them and maybe I don't. That's right. what I feel like I was just saying. I do. <laughs> I, I have apps. Like I, you know, I have, um, I feel like you can do so much from your phone, but I access my, uh, my website through my phone. I access, uh, like I have a scheduling system called acuity, which is bomb.com for my private clients. And like, I'm totally hands off and they, they're able to do like their, their whole entire thing, but it's hooked up with my, um, calendar, which it automatically updates my calendar. But one of the biggest apps that I use on the computer and on my phone, actually, that crosses over everything I do is a project management tool called Airtable. And, and if I didn't have Airtable on my like in my life, I don't know. I don't know what I did before Airtable. 
Yeah, I, I've heard of it. I haven't worked with it yet, but is it uh, is it project sharing? Can you share that with like an assistant or is it one that's just tailored to you? Yes, you can okay. share. So how Airtable works is it's kind of like a, a glorified uh, Excel in a way. It kind of looks like Excel spreadsheet, <clears throat> but you don't have to um, input any formula to achieve your goal because you know, um, it's, it's much more user-friendly. You don't have to be that tech savvy and you, there are what is called, well, first you have like your, your base, which is a file. And then you have, um, oh gosh, what now I forgot what it's called. So they're like different divisions. Like I have one for Ancabano films. I have one for the Just Be Love project. I have one that is just my private one. And then under each one of those, you have a file. So like Ann Cabano Films, like I would have Stronger by This is one of the files. And then Moving Ashley, which is a film I was um, assistant director on, I have a file. And then like the project that I'm working on right now, there's a file. And then like three other projects that are documentaries that take way longer, there's a file for each of those. And so I can invite someone in to a file or I can invite someone into the whole table. So they could come into stronger by this or they could come into the entire Anne Cabano films collection gotcha that sounds pretty good uh, yeah I think there was something that it wasn't quite like that but I remember when uh when Dean Ogden and I were working on the rebel creative podcast we had started I can't remember what the app was that we were using but we but it was very task oriented and it was kind of like okay I did my part now I can pass the task over to him for his part and the problem with it was really just the users because we would never, we would do the things and then we wouldn't update the app. Oh, and yeah. so then, then he, like he would go in or I would go in and update like 15 tasks and then dump it all on the other person. It just, it was, it was, it didn't work because of us because we weren't on top of it enough, but I oh, love yeah. the the concept of, of being able to keep everybody in the loop uh, sharing that way. And, you know, the fact that you can control what they, what they can see and what they don't. That seems like a really good thing, especially in today's world of technology. Yeah, I, you know what? I love it. And this is like, there are a lot of project management tools out there that are really advanced. There are high dollar ones, there are median level ones, there are low level ones. And here's the thing, like Airtable has the option for different levels, but I have never even gotten past the free level. And wow. I... Like I live by this, I live by Airtable. I it's a place to dump. You can dump all your thoughts, and then you can organize your thoughts into different tabs. And then you can in the tab you can organize it into different columns. And you know it's just a place to to dump stuff. And I have a whole system for film specifically now that is kind of like a t it's sort of a template, if you will, that I've created that is a working you know, it works for me really well, where it's a place to put, like you can instantly access somebody's headshot and bio right from your phone. So if you're running your own social media campaign or someone says, hey, I, I need a bio, a bio and a photo from you, you can like, you can stop whatever you're doing and send it to them. Wow. That's convenient. And, and definitely because when people need something in this industry, they typically need it right now, not right in an now. hour yeah. when you can get home and send it to me. I need it right now because I'm in whatever situation. 
and it's it's not a, a matter of being you know difficult or demanding it's just that's how the business is yeah I, and i and i love that like i even i have blank releases in there so you know you always need a release right so you can instantly pull up a release and print it out uh, assuming you have a printer print it out right there or you can send it to somebody's email on the spot for them to to have it or I just love it. It's a, I've, I've kept track of all of my, you know, I keep track of the finance. There's a finance tab. There's, uh, you know, it's the place where you can cut, like I have all of my licensing. So I licensed um, for the last film, right? I licensed songs. I licensed um, uh, sound effects and I licensed some uh there are a couple of stock footage shots that my drone um, people weren't able able to capture on a moment's notice that right. I needed them. Right. And so I just went and grabbed a couple of stock footage um, visuals that worked for what I needed. And, you know, I have it. I can access immediately wherever I'm standing. As long as I have my phone or computer, I can get the information immediately. Sure. And I like that. I'm an I like that a lot. And a lot of times too, while you're on a production, uh, emergency things will happen and you'll have to get help from an additional person or people. And you can just add them right onto your list of, of crew right from the app. Yep. Right there. And that way you, you don't do miss right anybody. There. Uh, yep. now you said that you can send releases. Are, are you able to send them to DocuSign so that they can be signed in electronically? So DocuSign is its own app in and of itself. But um, I haven't used those two in conjunction. That's a great idea, though. It could work. Right? Yeah, it could work. I mean, if you if you already anything that you have that you can copy and paste. So if you already have the copy written out in in an online file and a project management tool, you can copy that and then paste it into another app. Okay. So yeah, and th- in that essence, it's like a file cabinet. Right. And this this isn't just on your phone, right? Like, uh, no, you have a you have a web based backup to all the data. So if you if something happened to your phone or whatever, you you're not going to lose everything you've got. That is correct. Okay, good. I didn't realize because well, I'm not a big app guy. I don't know why you would think with me being a tech guy, I would be more into apps. But uh, I, I'm also kind of a minimalist, so I I'm not into a lot. But one of the ones I use is Evernote. Oh yeah, yep, and familiar. I for the longest time I thought. What if I, you know, what if something happened to my phone and I'm going to lose all these important lists? And then I just logged in and I realized like, it, you know, like I should have figured this out myself, but it's all backed up on the web. So, yeah. you know, I, I could breathe a little bit there because I'm very like I back up everything two and three places because I'm so paranoid about it. Um, yeah. What did you do before you had this little tool? <laughs> I blew it is what I feel <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I have, I was a notebook. Okay. I, I have to tell you, I was a holdout on physical calendars and notebooks. I held out to the last, like, until I, um, the expiration on the physical calendars was, had way passed. I should have, I should have switched a long, long time ago, but, um, I was stubborn and whatever. It doesn't matter. I was stubborn enough. I'm fine with it. But I, uh, I did, I, I used to actually have a business because everything that I do 
Like I, I do graphic work. So I would do something for myself. And then everyone around me was like, what is that? I want one of that, one of those. And so I was like, well, I'll make you one and sell it to you. How's that? So I made custom planners for a long time. And that's, I mean, so physical custom planners was how I, um, how I did my project management. But the, the fact is I just, I started doing bigger and bigger things that required more organization. And I, it just was time for me to do research. And so I researched the heck out of everything. And that's when I switched, I switched to, um, the online calendar and I switched to online project management. And I'm glad I did because it's, I've gotten better. I'm much more organized. So and you've grown too. I mean, the things that you're doing aren't just little projects anymore. You're working with lots of crew and lots of different people. And it's a lot to to coordinate. So it's really good to have the ability to to do that and not wonder, okay, where did I put my notebook? Oh my God, I left my notebook at the restaurant we were shooting at. Or, you know, uh, but do you, were you a legal pad person? Do you like that feeling of crossing <laughs> yeah. off a task after like physically scratching it out? Did you get some satisfaction from that? Yes, I still do. I still do make lists. I'm a list maker. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, it, I love legal pads. But do you know what I love more than legal pads for whatever random reason? Post-its? Gra- graph paper. Really? Graph paper. I don't know if it's because I need grounding. And so there's like this series of boxes that I have to stay within. And I don't know. But I... I'm a, I used to be a graph paper fanatic and I would buy the, instead of the cheap package where you can get like 10 legal pads, I would invest money in the, in the graph paper, um, spiral bound and graph paper that flip back, flips back like a, um, legal pad. And that's what I would use. I used to use graph paper to make, uh, maps for text adventure games. I used to play like Zork. <laughs> and, and then I realized that, that I couldn't find paper big enough for these maps. So I started doing them on like a larger drawing paper, but I wish I had I more that. reason to use graph paper. I don't know what it is, but I'm one of those people that can go into office max and just spend half a day there coming up with a hundred projects. I don't need to do just because <laughs> I can see these tools and they inspire me to do things that I don't need. <laughs> I love that. Same. Same. You can go. I can too. I can go into uh, one of these office supply stores and make up reasons why I need to buy this organizational tool because it is just so badass. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can even, I'll even find reasons to go to a store like that. I'll look over at my pen cup and go, those highlighters are probably all dried out. I should probably (laughs) go get some new ones. You know, and just, I don't know why, because there's, there really shouldn't be anything <laughs> exciting about it. But for some reason, I, I'm one of those people that just has a hard time leaving those stores. I, Sharpies are my thing. It's all about the Sharpies and it's all about the metallic Sharpies. Um, I will admit it now. I, I'm, a, I, I'm not a uh, ballpoint pen. I'm, I'm a, like a uniball pen. I love those. <laughs> and uh, I was so excited when Sharpie came out with pens. But I, I keep, I used to keep one in my pocket and they leaked all over the place. I ruined three oh. pairs of pants with those. And I thought, all right, I just, no, no, enough of that. Yeah. Yeah. At least they're not going with me, but I still carry a notebook with me in the car and, and a, a lead pencil. 
um, just because you never know when you're going to have ideas or run into somebody. And uh, there's there's something about physically writing that still is attractive to me. Yeah, I do like I do that like that as well. And um, I'll tell you a little funny story if you want to hear a little uh, tidbit about me. Do that it. I'm sure no one really cares, but I'm going to tell it anyway. They're going to um, care. So I have um, the type of purse that I have is it stands up on its own. It's like a square purse, you know. And so because so it doesn't flop down is what I'm saying. So it has and, like a flat bottom to it. Yes, okay. exactly. And then like two little handles at the top, right? It's like a little briefcase. And so it, it, since it, since it stands up on its own, you can see directly into my purse most of the time. <laughs> and I, I have a pocket on the side. So when you look into my purse, you see my lineup of highlighters and pens and pencils. And I cannot tell you how many people make a comment because here, he, you know, my there are my highlighters. There's, you know, five highlighters, pink, yellow, green, blue, and purple. And then my pens, and I've got blue, black, and red. And then I've got pencils, because you need those too. Yeah. Right? No, you know what? That's not weird to me at all. Um, I had Tamara McDaniel on the show recently. And we, back it, it, when I was still living in Arizona, we had shot some commercials together. We did one for, I think it was Casino Arizona, and then one for the lottery. And she was the... Um, can't remember was the talent coordinator or something. And when she opened her bag, it was all these packs of post-it notes and pens and highlighters and everything was so well organized. But if you're going to be on a production and you're going to be in a role like that, you need to have everything ready. And it needs to be something that you can just grab quickly because you don't have time to go fishing around for things. You don't. I don't, I don't know how many times I've used my highlighters and dry erase, my dry erase pens. Like when you're doing slate, we are constantly losing those pens. Like we stick them wherever they like go missing all day long. Right. And so, you know, I, I'm like, yes, I have a dry erase pen. Yes. Yes, I do. Dry erase <laughs> marker. Yes, I do. And I also have painter's tape. That's the other thing that I always have. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta put some Velcro around the pen and on the back of the clapboard so that you can always keep the pen with the clapboard. I mean, that would be the logical thing to do, but why when you can have uh, an excuse to go to the office supply store and stock <laughs> up on dry erase? Well, yeah. And there I go shooting myself in the foot. I just eliminated <laughs> a reason to go. It doesn't help anyone at all. No, you know, and, and I think that there's certain things that only production people really understand the deep value of, because if you haven't been on a set, um, you really don't understand the depth of how intense it is that the scheduling, the it, it's very, very high pressure, very, very limiting. And you have to be prepared and ready to go. I mean, you can be, you it can be. And especially like, you know, when you get deep into a production and then emotions, every, you know, there's always a day, there's always one day sometimes more, but there's always one day in my experience. And again, this could just be me and my little bubble world, but there's always one day where emotions are present and not the emotions that are supposed to be present for the scene. Just like everyone is off and irritated and like, you know, grumpy and snappy and, uh, you know, yeah, there's always days like that. 
Yeah, and that that's very true. I mean, the the energy of the room or the area can can definitely be uh, opposite of what you want. I, re- I remember reading. I think it was for it was for Poltergeist two, because there were so many things happening on the set. Um, they actually did a uh, like a cleansing. The guy that that was the Indian guy <sighs> in the movie, he actually knew how to do this, and so they actually would do that on their set. Yeah, and I thought that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting how a lot of the horror films tend to have intense energy in the rooms, but everybody's focused on creating that kind of energy, so it seems like it would be natural that it would happen. Yeah, you know what I will tell you. Uh, I mentioned my holistic background, mm-hmm. uh, so I am a Reiki teacher. I was I taught at a holistic college in Tempe for about twelve years. And I was their Reiki teacher. And if you don't know what Reiki is, well, go look it up. No, it's an energy. (laughs) It's an energy modality. And on set, I have, I've done Reiki. I've done Reiki when, when things get wonky and it's, it's, you can, you can um, do Reiki the same way you do a clearing, but I will tell you, I've burned sage. I've burned sage on set before. Yep, I have. I've burned sage on set before. And, um, and you know, I so I know I can imagine conjuring up whatever they're conjuring up sure. in a horror film might require some, uh, you know, cleansing. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt that at all. Uh, so I want to talk about um, your, your other project, because the, one of the things that I love about you is that everything you do has a bigger purpose, right? It's not just about yeah, I want to shoot a film and, and edit it and, you know, get musicians and, and actors and all this stuff. You, everything that you do has a higher value to it than, than just something for fun. And so could you tell us about the Just Be Love project? Yeah, I, um, thank you for saying a higher value. I just feel like it's my purpose. Everything, everything I do. And I, and I don't want that to yeah. sound religious because a lot of times when no. you say things like that, people get a religious connotation. I mean it in the terms of it's not just about having an enjoyable film. It's about inspiring people or awareness or, you know, there's always a, an underlying cause. Yeah, well, and there, and to me, there's nothing wrong. I feel like this is my divine purpose. And so for me, I feel it's appropriate to say a higher purpose because I I, I do feel like I was put here on this earth. And I don't know how the rules, I don't know how it works. I didn't do it. All I know is I'm here. And I feel like I was put here to do this. And so, yes, I consider myself a love warrior. And sometimes that sounds a little, that can sound a little like roses and cherries and, you know, rainbows. But as we, right, as we all know, love isn't roses and cherries and rainbows. Love is messy and love is work. And there's a lot more to love. I I personally feel like the motivation of every human being on this planet is because we want to be loved and we want to love others. And we want to be seen, we want to be heard, and we want to connect to other human beings. And so I am a social awareness advocate that's what I am first for everything. And the Just Be Love project is just another iteration of some other projects I've done previously, um, but in a different way. 
And the Just Be Love Project really is about, it's about educating people about other people. It's about having the tough conversations that we don't want to talk about or that are hard to talk about or that are taboo to talk about. And it's not a, it's not a political platform, although it seems to me advocating for humanity, people make it political. But uh, me, I'm about, I mean, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm about connecting humans and teaching people how to connect with other humans and teaching people about it's okay to be a human. It's okay to have feelings and, and people aren't alone in, in their trauma responses and people aren't alone in their pain bodies and people aren't alone. And I think opening up conversation, when someone bravely shares their story, they automatically give other human beings permission to share their story. And I feel in storytelling, that's how we heal. Telling our stories, it's not the same as being stuck in, in a story. Telling your story is taking action. Some people are verbal processors. I'm one of them. And what that means is the healing aspect of telling your story not only begins to move the energy that is stuck in your body, but it also begins to move the energy of other individuals because we are social creatures. We are, we're, we're designed to be interactive. We rely on other people. And even if you are like the most independent person on the planet, you tell me you don't rely on other people. That's not even the truth. Like you do. Unless you make your own clothing, make your own food, build your own house, grow all the supplies to build your house with, you know what I'm saying? Like you're you're yeah, not. I think that we tend to take things for granted that aren't in front of our face. You know, we we expect to go to yes. the store and they're gonna have food there for us to buy or they're gonna have clothing there for us to buy. And and I used to do and I really do need to get back to this, but I used to do a gratitude journal where I would take uh one thing every day and think about not just how I might enjoy it. Take like a box of cereal and you think, okay, well, I like this cereal. It's good. I like it with milk or however, but then think about the people that manufacture it. And then the person that manufactures the container, the delivery system to get it to you and the people that stock it on the shelves at the store. But then you go back further to the people that actually go out into the world and pick the things that end up in that cereal. And yep. then the people that manufacture the machines for the cereal to be processed. When you really think about everything that's involved in every single product that you buy, it's really hard not to appreciate how it ends up on your table. I would hope so, but that's not the case for everyone. But, sure. you know, yeah. I would hope so. And I, and, you know, I, I just, I just dream of a world where I can help one, even if it's just one individual have a new lens of perception because yeah. there's there are plenty of reasons already existing for us to be separate there are plenty of reasons for us to be divided there are plenty of reasons for us to hate other people right and i would love to see a world where we might have more options and opportunities and excuses to love other people instead because I feel like it's a better world that way. Well, I think we do have those opportunities. I think that we tend to just overlook them because 
we don't want to get involved or we can't be bothered or, you know, there's, there's something else I'd rather do, or I, I would rather, you know, be at home and watch a movie or whatever it is. I think the opportunities are there. I think it's changing our perception and recognizing not just that, that the opportunities are there, but why it's important to get involved and, and do something that changes someone's life. It doesn't even have yep. to be a difficult thing. It can be a simple thing that just exactly. you know, makes someone happy. Exactly. I'm in total agreement with you. So how yes. does, so is, is it that, what does the, the project do to, to make that happen? So what we have done so far, and just like any, you know, any business, you, you sort of start with one vision and it evolves a little bit. But what we've done so far is we've had conferences. So we've had talks, we've had intimate talks, big talks, we've shown film, um, I've done spoken word, um, and the, and the topics that we've covered are very difficult topics. So we've covered, um, sexual trauma, trafficking, PTSD, suicide, bullying, adoption, um, Black History Month. Um, I feel like uh, there, are, there are so many other things that we can talk about, like in within each of those topics. Uh, I have love talks we talked about. I had a man come on and talk about CBD and hemp and... Um, legal, the legal use and the medicinal use of marijuana. And I had another woman come on and talk about privilege. And I had two women come on and talk about, um, the, the title of the topic was love in the face of hate. And, and it was their experience, um, out on the campaign trail, um, as Muslim women. And so these are the types of things that were having talks about and workshops. You know, we've had people come and give workshops to, to help people. Addiction is the one we just did, addiction and depression. The whole addiction and depression and tools for healing. Oh, good. I love I love all these topics because they're things that people, we really need to have dialogue about. They need to, to not be things that people think, well, I really don't want to bother anyone or I don't want to bring anybody down with how I'm feeling. We need to get past the issues themselves. And we're not going to do that if we stay bottled up and don't realize that other people are feeling the same way. And we can all work together to not feel that way anymore. And I'm not talking about people that have medical conditions, because there's certain level of depression that really is a physical medical thing. And there's other kinds of depression, which is just people don't know how to problem solve and how to move past. It's easier to wallow in it. Yeah. You know? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, what I, what I feel, this is my belief. My belief is our story is really just the vehicle in which we arrive at the feelings. And the feelings are the things where we all connect. And, you know, for years when I was teaching every class, I felt like I was saying the same thing over and over. I think a lot of teachers feel that way. You, you, you just share the same lessons over and over. And what I constantly said and what I still say to this day, all the way up to this conversation is, you know, joy is joy. Hate is hate. Uh, sad is sad. Happy is happy. Anger is anger. 
we understand shame is shame, guilt is guilt. We understand those feelings. We connect on that continuum and this ability to feel. And our stories, when we share our stories of these things, it's easy for us to begin to open our own selves up and create our healing because we're walking around like everyone on this planet is walking around with a it, with a trauma of some kind. We're all in grief. Yeah. You know, I, I remember uh, Dee Wallace said something really interesting. She said, the problem with our story is that we keep telling our story. And I found that fascinating because in a way we do, we tend to cling on to our memories of some of our more traumatic things. And those are the interesting stories that we tell to other people. But when we do, we are really reliving that and we're reliving it in, in our subconscious mind, in our muscles, in, in our body, in our thoughts. And then the visuals keep coming back. And you think about maybe a car accident that you were in. And when you're telling somebody about the car accident, your body is feeling all that trauma all over again. And you're remembering what it looked like and seeing the car spin and being afraid of, of whatever you might hit or flipping over. And you're reliving all of that every time you tell the story. Where do you find the balance between telling a story and getting past a trauma? So this is a really great question. I love this question. Um, I always preface everything with, in my opinion. Right. In my opinion, we are energy beings. And so one of the things I am in this world is a licensed massage therapist. And it's through that's part of my holistic training. Okay. And so working on body, I've done a lot of structural reintegration and trauma release type of therapy, helping people rehabilitate from physical trauma. But every physical trauma has an emotional aspect to it. And they can, these emotions get stuck in the body. So these emotions can stay stuck in the body. And if you don't visit those emotions, those emotions can make the body ill. So to me, telling your story begins to move the emotion out. Because if you're not telling it verbally, you're definitely telling it mentally. And if you're not telling it mentally in your conscious mind, you're definitely telling it in your subconscious mind. Right. Your body is reliving. Your body is um, going through. In nature, animals shake their trauma off. They go through a trauma, they shake their trauma off. We are told to suck it up. We are told to get over it. We're told to rub some dirt in it. We're told to put our big, big girl panties on, right? We're not told it's okay that you have these feelings. So psychologically, that is my promotion of why I feel like we tell our stories now about the balance to address the balance question that you have, right? So in all healing, no matter what, where you are starting or where you, what trauma you've gone through and, and what points you, you have to heal. There's a, there's a point at which you either are ready to heal or you're not. Okay. And so, um, let me break this down a little easier, maybe to understand this. My, I might not be 
expressing this in the best way. Okay. So if someone's an addict, right, because we can, we can relate to addiction. Everyone knows addiction. If somebody's an addict, if they are not ready to help themselves, it doesn't matter what you do. That's true. Right? They're not going to help themselves. So the healing and telling your story comes at the point in which you are ready to begin healing. If you're ready to be in healing, retelling your story is not going to continuously traumatize you. If you're feeling traumatized by retelling your story, you're not at the point of being ready to be healed. Very true. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. You're just where you are. But sometimes when somebody else stands up and shares what they've been through, right? So I'm working with a woman right now, another project. She was raised in a cult. And she was raised for the purpose of being trafficked. And that's how she grew up. She And she experienced a tremendous amount of sexual, physical, emotional, and mental and spiritual abuse. So this, so now fast forward to now, she wants to tell her story, but she doesn't want her to tell her story because she wants everyone to know what she's gone through. She wants to tell a piece of her story so that she can tell people how she moved to a point of healing so that people knew that no matter what trauma they went through, they could come to a point of being a functioning, inspirational adult. Hmm. Well, maybe that's the difference. Maybe it's, it's, it's all about your purpose in telling it. Like if you're telling it it just to, to bitch and moan, then you're just going to wallow in it more. If you're telling it to inspire someone or to say, Hey, here's how I got out of this situation. Maybe something in here will help you. Then you're going to get back that energy from them as well. And that's going to change how you feel about it. Maybe that's where a lot of the healing happens too. Yep. It's all in the intention. Mm-hmm. It's all in the intention, you know, and it, it, so if somebody, if somebody wants to share, uh, if say I'm putting on a conference and someone reaches out and they're like, I really want to tell my, my story. I feel like I have a story to tell. That's the first thing I ask them. What's your goal? Because I'm gauging where they're at. Right. Right. But the other, the other part of it is that, uh, so it's all a learning experience. Okay. So because I am who I am and where I am in my healing, I'm, and this actually benefits me in my documentary filmmaking. I have a slightly, I'm equally overly compassionate and empathetic and detached simultaneously. And so the detached part of my personality allows me to hear a lot of really, really hard to hear stuff and it doesn't impact me. So my, my job is to balance that so that so that individuals who aren't that don't possess those skills, like I, I can't assume everyone is able to process that way, right? So I did put on a conference that I felt like at the end of the conference we all needed counseling. Wow. Okay. So I I learned. I thought, oh, I need to shift this, and so it became more 
of a balanced thing. Um, firsthand, I learned that you you have to offer people a chance to breathe, a chance to integrate the information, a chance to verbally process or um, silently process the information that they were just given, and then um, offer them tools and hope and leave them on a positive note. And so when I do things now that are heavy and everything, I feel like everything I do uh, is, has the possibility of being really heavy. Okay. Yeah. Like I just have to honor that fact, but that's okay. I, it's all right because I've seen a lot of people experience healing. I mean, after every event, I get a flood of emails, text messages, um, Facebook messages of people that are expressing to me um, one little piece that they took away or a bunch of pieces they took away or one person or one speaker impacted them and um, they begin to heal. It sparks, it plants a seed, it plants a seed. And that's, that's all you can do is plant seeds and then hope. Well, it, it's a combination of people coming across opportunities at the right time when they're ready to hear them and when they're ready to accept that they can change things or that they they have more power than they think they do or that they do matter. Because a lot of people just go around feeling like they're not important, that they don't have any reason to be here. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. is, you know, it's it's everybody yearns for having a purpose. I think that's a very natural thing, but people a lot of times don't find it. I hope I've never taken for granted that from a very young age, I've always known what I wanted to do. And it's, it's had some variations, but a lot of people don't even find that sort of foundation in their life. They get into a job and then that just becomes the thing that they do. And is even when they hate it, now they're making too much money. They can't really start over doing something else. And then they're like, well, I only have 20 more years until retirement. And it just becomes a motion of going through every day. And people, I think, just naturally want something better, even if they're not ready to admit to themselves that they've become complacent or or should have tried harder or whatever they're going to tell themselves. But for somebody that comes to one of your seminars, they wouldn't be there if they didn't want some kind of improvement, if there wasn't something that yearned inside them to walk in that door in the first place. So I would mm-hmm. imagine that there's already that feeling that they're looking for when they walk in your door. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason why I call, I mean, because you would say, why would you call this the Just Be Love Project? Right? The Just Be Love Project. And you're talking about all these other things. Right. But that's, that's part of it. I, I have seen that people... I mean, why do you think it is that people respond to animal and baby things, right? Memes with animals and babies or little videos with animals and babies or marketing with animals and babies. Why is it all that, right? It's because there's a part of us that wants that innocence back. There's a part of us that, that, can see unconditional love. We see unconditional love in both animals and babies. We see innocence in, in um, baby animals, right? And baby, baby, babies. And we, we want that because we, we walk around feeling as a whole, 
our society, we walk around. I mean, we all we all go through heartbreak. I feel like our biggest, like every single one of us, the 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 thing that really matters the most are the people that we love and lose. I feel like the biggest problems that we we face are about being connected to other people. You know, when you feel alone in your overwhelm of paying bills or you feel alone in your overwhelm of homework, you know, like talking about the kids, homework is one of the things, uh, you know, one of the cast members just, I just edited a little piece and put it up on um, social media of him telling his story of his, his friends taking his own life. And it was because he couldn't handle the pressure of homework. Yeah, that's just right? so sad. And and I would imagine that there's a combination of things that led them to that point. Totally. Because obviously there's, you know, there's different skills that you can utilize to manage homework and things like that. And maybe they weren't taught those things or maybe they weren't supported or maybe it was one of those, you need to get in there and do this now kind of things that, that you know, made it a very negative thing. There's so many factors, but I always thought the Just Be Love project, to me, in my mind, uh, giving it the example of, of my, my recent guest, Lady Lone, uh, Lady Lone Wanderer, who was talking about uh, when she's, she's a Twitch streaming gamer, and she was talking about the fact that there's people that will get online and say, uh, you should kill yourself, and I'm going to rape you, and, and these things that are just, why would you say that to somebody? But when I think about Just Be Love, I think if we were all in that element of love, there would be no way that that would even come into your mind to say to somebody and start that chain reaction of now this person has to defend themselves or wants to seclude themselves from society because they don't want to be told things like that. And if we were all in that element of sharing and giving and growing together, those things just wouldn't exist. Yeah. I feel like it comes down to each individual. I feel like it comes down to self-love. It all starts with loving yourself and and respecting yourself and caring for yourself and having a high self-regard. And I feel like individuals who bully and threaten and abuse other people are coming from a space of acting out their lack of self-love. And I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we're, you know, it's the existential crisis. We, we, we're, we exist. Why are we here? The thing that moves us uh, are other people and the foundation for wanting to acquire things or have things really is about other people and impressing other people and why we are egomaniacs because it's about other people. You can't be an you can't even be a narcissist if you don't have other people to be a narcissist too. That's true. Right? Yeah, you can't have a flame without a stick. Right. You know, but but I think you you kind of hit something on the head for me. I think that part of the problem, and, and I, I you know, again, this is just my opinion, but I think that people are too busy looking for external validation and love than they are making themselves a person that they want to be and then letting that shine and finding the right kind of people to be uh, attracted to. And, and I don't just mean that physically or, or you know, emotionally, but just to, the right kind of people in your world that are going to support you that you want to support. We're too busy trying to find that from somebody else to define us, to tell us that we're good instead of deciding that we're good, doing things that show ourselves that we're good, and then letting that light shine and attract the right people. 
Yeah. It it is it it's kind of like the divine bait and switch in some mm-hmm. respect. If you're struggling, there's a you know, there's typically a part of you that it feels alone in the world. Right. And um, for whatever reason, you haven't found your own formula to connect with other people. And this isn't about external. Like when I when I talk about understanding other people, what I'm really talking about is understanding yourself, right? So in our conversation before this, I I use the phrase I use all the time: if you spot it, you got it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, what I hope for people is that when they see an individual standing in front of a crowd telling a story about how they made this really shit decision and how it impacted their life, but how they're standing there now, or, or they experienced a trauma that they didn't have any participation in and, and how they're standing before them now and saying, and you know what? I still have value. I'm still worthy. I'm, I'm allowed to take up the space I have in this world. And, and that's what I hope for you. You know, you never know what, what little tiny seed is going to fall off. But what I do know is that my medicine in the world is about sharing our experiences and connecting to other people. And I, you know, this doesn't have to be the only way for people to, to move about the world and experience healing or um, get what they need to become empowered, productive human beings and productive to their own standards, or even learn like one of the big things you said earlier about people don't know what their purpose is. I don't know how many people walk around not knowing what their purpose is. And people ask me all the time, how did you know what your purpose was? You knew what your purpose was. Me, I was born into this world. And all I remember this is a story that I remember from being a little child. It's my grandparents. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And we would be driving down the road. And my grandpa was, he was a kind man, but he was, he talked, he talked about other people. And, and maybe he was, he was also racist. That was the era. It's not like I'm excusing him because he was my grandpa, but that, that was the era. And I remember that we would be driving down the road and he would be saying these horrible things about people out, out the window. And I remember sitting in the back of the car as a wee, wee little one thinking, as I'm looking at this person thinking, what do you mean? Like, how can you say that? You don't even know that person. And I had no comprehension of that at all. And I grew up extremely shy, so I observed people. I was an observer of people. And I have a keen sense of people. If if you meet me face to face, I'm going to know who you are really easily. And it's always been that way. And so what's my purpose? I don't know. But I fumbled around in this world trying a whole bunch of different things until something hit. Right. I, I think that's awesome. And, and we've we've all had, I mean, people of, of our generation certainly always had 
that at least one racist or sounding racist sounding relative, you know, even if they, they might've grown up with the wrong terms and never really grew out of those terms. Yeah. Uh, And I always remember just, just kind of mentally closing my eyes and gritting my teeth. Every time I would hear certain words or phrases, I'm like, just, just stop saying that, (laughs) you know, we're all people. We don't have to be defined by those things, like where we come from, what color we are, anything like that. That doesn't make us who we are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all my grandparents are, are gone. So I can, I can say that with, uh, without worry of any, uh, lashing back at me for saying it. But the, the fact is, is it's true. I mean, uh, it was a different time. And, and again, like you, I'm not excusing it, but, it, but in the way of understanding why people said those things is that's just the, the language that they grew up with. Yeah. They just didn't know any better. Uh, and it's, it's sad. And, I, I would imagine as, as the generations go on, though, there's going to be that's a lot of that's going to filter out to the extent that it can. It's always going to be there. Um, but before we go, I, I do want to say thank you for one other thing. I'm very, very excited about this because it's always been uh, a dream of mine to have my music played at the Chinese theater in Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, Stronger by This is going to be showing at the Chinese theater. Yeah. How did I, that happen? Um, I, we were blessed. I I submitted the film to a film festival and it got accepted. And um, there's that's where they're doing their screening. So we're it's the Golden State Film Festival, and they chose us to screen on a Saturday in the TCL Chinese Theaters on Hollywood Boulevard. And I got it. I have to tell you. The kids are so excited. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I'm so excited, too. Yeah. So we're we're all making a journey over to to experience that. And and I love that. I love that that your music is playing there. And, you know, everyone that participated, their work gets to play there. And I mean, how really, really amazing. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I have a, a bit of a history with that place because the when I moved to L.A., the first red carpet I went to was at that theater. Mm. And uh, the and I went with, with people that are very uh, experienced in red carpet events. But what we weren't experienced with was apparently the parking garage and our cars were locked in overnight. So we had to make <laughs> immediate arrangements to stay somewhere else because we were, you know, like an hour away from where we lived. Oh and, no! Uh, so yeah, it was it was quite a catastrophe, and I thought, yeah, welcome to LA. <laughs> you really, oh, no. you really don't know what you're doing here. Uh, that oh, good. This is good information. We will. We are just taking Uber or Lyft or whatnot, so we'll be good. Yeah. So for those of you that that don't know, the one of the parking garages that's that's directly under the theater. When they have signs that say the parking garage is going to close at a certain time, pay strong attention to that because they do. <laughs> And your events are almost always going to run late. So if the event says it's going to end at 10, plan on 11. Uh, And then the last time I was there was Halloween week 2014. And I saw the premiere of Julia starring Ashley C. Williams. And Mm -hmm. they did a really cool Q&A. And that is just a brutal, hardcore film. And so it's it's kind of neat to know that the last film I saw there was exactly the opposite of the one that you're showing. Uh, but it's cool. I've, I'm so excited to have the music play there. I really wish I could be there to to see it, but I'll definitely be cheering you guys on uh, from here. 
Well, I'll take pictures and and uh, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll sneak a little video of the portion with your music playing oh. and send it to you. Oh, that would be so cool. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, if you guys want to follow her, she's she's. I've got all the social media and links and stuff uh, in there in the show notes as always. She is just one of the the most wonderful, kind hearted people, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the oh, show. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I could just keep talking and talking to you, and I just appreciate the chance to babble on about my thoughts. I yeah. really appreciate what you're doing. So I, thank I, you thank so you. much. And I appreciate what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show because it is important. You know, I, I see people posting the, the suicide help number and stuff a lot. And it's great that they're doing that, that people know there's a number that they can call. But if somebody is in a position where they're suicidal, most of the time they're far beyond reaching out for help. Now, this might help the people, prevent new people from getting there, but people that are close to that edge, they've already passed the point of it. Mm -hmm. And we need to do something to help those people. But by posting that number, maybe there are preventing people from getting to that point. You know, those people that are kind of contemplating it or, or, you know, it's just popped into their head. And I hope that that continues to help people because it really is important to, for everybody to experience love, to know that they matter even if they don't know their value to, to know that they have a value and to be surrounded by love. Everyone deserves that. So thank you for doing something to move that forward. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I have another conversation for you and I to have um, on the tail end of what you just said. So thank you so much, Scott. Well, you'll have to come back on the show because I, I think that uh, these kind of things to remind people and to get that, awareness of avenues and different things out there is really important. Will you come back and visit us again? I would love to. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you yes, for coming thank on Thank you today. so much. Yeah. Thank you. You take care and we'll talk again soon. Okay. You too. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. I've said it before and I'll probably say it every time, but I just love people that want to do things to make the world better. It's what it's all about. Let's all do something, something, even if it's something little. Pick up a piece of trash, do something to make someone smile, just something to make the world a better place. And I thank people like Anne for being out there doing it every day. Please support her, follow her links, follow her, check out what she's doing and share the love. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. It's been a wonderful journey this week, and I look forward to next week where I will have another special and wonderful guest on. In the meantime, follow the podcast, like, share, write reviews, please, and have a wonderful week.